we had a leadership meeting uh, one time and we did a tweets where we did it like uh, Jimmy Kimmel mean tweet style. And you know, where he had, we had essentially like different people in the company reading tweets that we actually get. I'll tell you what, Anna Harak, the number of times where I wish I would have thought of that idea, reading mean tweets to executives in a conference room. I'll tell you what, I love that, that example from our guest this week, Andy from Amtrak. I love that example too. And I think um, social pros are going to love that example. I think that's going to be a great, wonderfully, creatively stolen idea among teams. I hope to see that actually more and more because what a great way to finally have everybody on the social side feel seen and heard from executives than to show them exactly what we deal with on a day-to-day basis. It happens a lot because executives, in fairness to them, they're thinking about the totality of the business. Social is just one tiny part of it. And like, oh, yeah, whatever's happening in social media, it's not that big of a deal. But when you put them in a conference room and, and read mean tweets to them and force them to come up with their best answer, they have to confront sort of, you know, confusion and negativity and other issues that um, that customers may have. And and I love how Andy and his team have handled that. And and so many uh, components of the Amtrak social media program are just really well executed in general. Yeah, you're going to hear, especially on this episode, I love when Andy goes into how they incorporate fun and humor in ways that are really genuine and authentic for the brand. As somebody who's been working with brands for a decade and a half on voice and tone, they do a great, great job of really building it in naturally and making it seamless and fun. Yeah, it's a good program. Amtrak on social is definitely worth a, a follow. This episode, definitely worth a listen. I'm Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. She's Anna Harak from Convince Convert. Adam is off this week, but our friends at Salesforce, where Adam works, are on this week as a sponsor of Social Pros. Their state of marketing report is an absolute must read. The new edition, they actually went out and got data on 8,500 marketing leaders, right? Which is almost absurd. That's a pretty big data set. 8,500 marketing leaders from across the globe. What are they thinking about? What technologies are they using? What's bothering them? What's changed in their business since COVID? It is indispensable research. It's an absolute must read for anybody in marketing, especially social pros. Go to bit.ly slash new marketing report to download it for free. B-I-T dot L-Y slash new marketing report. That's all lowercase, my friends. Also this week, the show brought to you by our pals at Supermetrics. Now, you probably agree that analyzing your social media performance isn't easy, especially if, like our guest this week, Andy, uh, is managing multiple campaigns on multiple channels. You got to log in, you got to import, you got to export, you got to put stuff in a spreadsheet. It's a whole thing. This is where Supermetrics comes in handy. They are the leader in data delivery solutions. They take all the stuff that you're getting raw, they put it into one place uh, and allow you to re-swizzle it in a way that you and your team and the executives can figure out. Our friends at Supermetrics created a Facebook ads overview dashboard for Google Data Studio that reports on the performance of all your paid campaigns, costs, clicks, return on ad spend, audience data. It's awesome. It'll save you a ton of time. Get the template and start your free, only for Social Pros listeners, free 14-day trial of Supermetrics. Go to supermetrics.com slash socialpros. Supermetrics.com slash socialpros. Here he comes. It's Andy from Amtrak. 
from a train somewhere in America, the director of digital media at Amtrak, Andy Jasinek, joins us on Social Pros. Andy, we can hear briefly, like lightly in the background, the sound of the clickety-clack of the wheels on the track. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jay. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. And yeah, trains trains are running and they are ready to travel. Speaking of ready to travel, it's, it must have been a bonkers year uh, for, for you and the team at Amtrak with COVID and changing protocols and passenger safety and signage. And obviously, you're, you know, you're, you're in large swaths of the United States. Um, how how did that manifest in social? Were there like special meetings? Like, here's how we're going to communicate this. Like, how do you even start with that kind of deal? Yeah. And one other piece you could add in there is we had a change in administration, which is actually a huge deal to us as well, too, uh, with our relationship with the government. But all of that, you know, combined with all of the things that you that you mentioned, it was really about we didn't just sit back and think, okay, let's just wait this out. We really thought, what can we do to not only just improve our brand and our product, but specifically for me, how do we keep people inspired to ride Amtrak when they're ready? And when they come out of the pandemic, what are the things we can do to remain top of mind as really a unique way to travel? Um, Amtrak's a really different experience than your car or your plane or your bus. Um, so we know that some of those things were on pause for a year and we really had to think about, you know, what are we going to do to keep people excited about trains when they are ready to travel? And if they are traveling during this time, how do we make them feel safe? So it's just a lot of communication, uh, a lot of information communicated out there to just get our passengers up, up to speed on all these different protocols. And, but at the same time, how do we keep them inspired to travel as well? So speaking of a lot of that information about how to ride, what to do, what are the protocols, you have some fantastic educational information and not boring educational information like we we can see sometimes. This is really great, engaging video, really well done, professionally shot, great templates, really consistent in branding. How did you manage to pull off that level of execution with everything going on? It's been a lot of strategy and a lot of focus into what are what are our customers looking for? What is our audience looking for? And looking into whether it's social listening to try to dive into those specific topics that you talked about um, that people might not know about from Amtrak. You know, everything from our reasons to believe that differentiate us from other modes of travel, from everything from a, a baggage policy to a private room that you can uh, you can travel in on a long distance train. And um, I think from the branding perspective, it was just, you know, again, creating that look and feel that that really translates well to social that's very visually grabbing, that is kind of capturing people in those first few seconds. Um, you know, things that are might seem obvious, but to execute in a really crowded newsfeed uh, across all these platforms is really important. And so we, we really spent a lot of time finding that branding and finding that look and feel and finding that information that customers and, and our audience as a whole, old customers, but also new customers as well too, new riders um, to get them up to speed and something that was really going to, again, stand out in that really crowded real estate market on social media right now. Andy, I'm glad you mentioned that interplay between 
prior writers and potential new writers at Amtrak, when you think about the role of social for Amtrak, it, I, I know it's multifaceted because you've got a, a customer care component there as well, but but what is the what is the prime directive? Is it, hey, we got to sell tickets? Is it, we have to uh, ensure that the reputation of Amtrak uh, stays high? Is it customer service? Like what's, what's job one for you, would you say? Yeah, with, I mean, all those plates are spinning at all the all times, as as I'm sure you know. But um, I think you know, this year we we put a lot of focus on ridership and how do we get people to try the train. If you've never tried it, it now is potentially a good time for you to give it a shot because we feel like we had a a, a pretty safe mode of travel during the pandemic, and and there's certain aspects of it, again, those unique aspects of travel that we offer, that we were thinking, okay, if we can get people to just try it out that maybe haven't tried it before, when they come back for potentially business travel in the future, in our very busy Northeast Corridor, which we see a lot of business travel in normal times, um, if they have potentially tried it for their leisure travel to go visit their friends and family, potentially they'd be more likely to try it when they need to travel for work or for some other type of trip in the future. So um, there were a lot of adjustments made into, you know, just how we position the product and how we use social to just get the word out about now, you know, now's a good time to, to try it out. Now's a good time to see what it's all about. And you may find that, hey, this is a great way for me to go visit my friends and family or go visit my coworkers in another part of the country. And it 100% is. Every time I'm in the Northeast, uh, I actively try to to ride Amtrak in between destinations. It's such a low-stress mode of transport. Um, you're not having to drive yourself in Northeast traffic, uh, and you're not having to deal with all the airport runaround, which, as we all know, um, is burdensome at best. Uh, I love the train and, and wish I had an opportunity to ride it, uh, to ride it more, that's for sure. Um, Andy, talk about about your team. What what does what um, the the squad of uh, social media participants look like there at Amtrak? It's a it's a lean and very efficient but very effective team. So we kind of have three primary areas. One I would consider your more traditional social marketing, um, which would be content development, some paid media. Um, I would put potentially social listening in that bucket as well, although social listening really spans across, you know, the whole, everything that we do. Um, we have a customer care element, a 24-7 operation to engage with customers, both in-house and third-party resources that help us with that um, to answer our customer inquiries on social media. Um, and, you know, we get a lot of, we've gotten a huge uptick in that, especially during the uh, pandemic, even with the ridership down due to the pandemic, there was certainly no shortage of questions coming in via social media for us to answer. And then we have a third element that's actually, I consider it a little bit more unique to Amtrak. We call it a, a customer communications team, but it's really, it's a team that sits at our operations center and uses Twitter. It started as Twitter, although it has expanded into other digital platforms and push notifications and things like that, where we uh, sit directly next to our operations desk and communicate when there are delays or disruptions to certain trains out there. So it's a reality of our business as trains get delayed. Um, but we realized several years ago that we just didn't have a good mechanism for getting that information out. So I kind of said, hey, 
social media, like we're here, we've got Twitter handles, we've got, you know, the opportunity to get that out. And so we have, um, you know, we have spent a lot of time refining that team and delivering that operational service information really in real time, 24 seven out of our operations center. And those are kind of the three core areas uh, that might, that sit kind of in my organization here. So there is a lot that I want to unpack from that, but since you touched on social customer care, I have to jump right there, which is, I would love for you to talk about the most famous slash infamous tweet in Antrac history, which I think everybody knows, but would love for you to unpack that. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll be with me forever. It's like, you know, it's like that, like tattooed onto Amtrak's uh, social media uh, existence, even, you know, five years ago now, over five years ago now. So, um, you know, the background being uh, a woman stuck in an elevator at BWI and um, tweeting out, hey, I'm stuck in this elevator and can someone help me? Um I'll fast forward to the infamous tweet where some 200 plus days later, there was a response from someone on our customer care team saying, are you still stuck in this elevator? Um, so, you know, it, it's funny because I went back and I actually read articles. I mean, it was, it was on the Today Show, like it was in Mashable. It was in everywhere you could possibly think of. And at, it, always at the, the bottom of the article and like the footnote, it says, Oh, by the way, they actually did respond 16 minutes after that initial tweet. <laughs> yes. uh, but we want to talk about like the, the fun part of this where it was, you know, six months later or whatever. Uh, and so, again, it, you know, I will not try to pretend that at that point in time, there were not major gaps in our customer care in social media. It was really done as an ad hoc. There were a few people as part of our call center that could occasionally jump in and answer people. It wasn't really, you know, there were certainly times where tweets like that would go enormous amounts of time before getting answered or just not answered at all. So it certainly, it definitely, you know, that was being exposed at that time. Um, and so the interesting, it's always interesting when I go back and I look at that tweet of this, this, this uh, Miss Carpenter who was stuck in the elevator and we did, you know, she was obviously fine and we were able to get her out and we did respond actually like really quickly, all things considered after she did put that tweet out. Um, and what happened was through some, and I, I never want to be, you know, blame the technology guy, but um, for some reason, like that tweet came back up, like somebody retweeted it or it got shared again. And, you know, this person in our customer care organization saw it and probably thought they were doing like a great thing by answering this person and being like, are you still there? Like, can I help you? And not realizing that this had potentially been, you know, this was months, 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 months later. So we did reach out to Ms. Carpenter um, via direct message and, uh, you know, offered her a, a complimentary trip on on Acela, which she took advantage of and very nicely actually tweeted about that redemption of the trip. And uh, <laughs> to which I responded, uh, you know, glad we, uh, glad we were able to get you out of that elevator. So that's the uh, the story behind that one. Um, but it led to a lot of great improvements in that area at the very least. So. I mean, since then, which was 2016, if I recall correctly, um, mm -hmm. um, I suspect that, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, Andy, 
the number of channels that riders use as quote unquote customer service channels has expanded, right? In those days, it really was Twitter primarily, maybe a little Facebook on the side. And now it seems to me that there are so many ways that people can ask a question or or make a statement about their experience on Amtrak. Um, certainly Instagram and, and, and TikTok and all the different stories formats um, and and text message and live chat and and all these other places like how how do you think about coordinating response when you have such a large array of channels that the response could come in on yeah it and it's it's only growing like you said you know there's just more and more being added into the mix every week it seems like but uh but yeah uh, you know i think we we really developed pretty I think it required us to really develop good processes, but also build the relationships with the departments in the company that can actually solve the problem and create the mechanisms to get those escalated to those departments. So if it's a mechanical issue, if you're on a train and the air conditioning's not working, so like having those, no matter who sees it, like they have an idea of where that needs to go, what desk that needs to go to. If it's a... um, uh, even a security or a, a potentially very serious matter, you know, developing those with our police department and our emergency response teams and, and getting that all coordinated. So really, it took a while. It really did take a long time to build those relationships because a lot of those areas aren't used to interacting and getting that information in real time with the expectation from the customer that I want an answer now. Or, or very soon, like my patience is going to diminish the longer this sits. So this is, you know, I, I, being able to explain that and show examples to those different departments and say, hey, this is why we need you. This is what our customers are saying on social media in real time or potentially any of those other channels, text, web, um, or there's the new platforms, like you said, getting more engagement on TikTok or in Instagram stories, or even on YouTube or any, anywhere where you would expect, you can expect a comment to come in and getting that feedback to the right people so they can help us resolve it much, much more quickly. And I think you know, that, that I attribute to a lot of relationship building. It's so important. I, I love how you put that, this, this idea that you really have to work uh, cross-departmentally to make sure everybody understands just how important this is. When you're when you're doing that, Andy, and you're trying to sort of make this business case, do you show people at Amtrak examples from your riders and or do you show them examples from other brands, airlines or, um, or some other kind of, of travel-related uh, organization to say, look how they're doing it? How, how do you sort of make that case in and, uh, and sort of put together the the presentation, if you will. Sure. Yeah. I think I think there's the the you know the qualitative and the quantitative of that. And the you know the quantitative is just like look how many messages we're getting in, just raw numbers. This is how much you could break it down to. You know, we're getting uh, somebody messaging us every ten minutes or two minutes or whatever. You know, whatever you can break it down to, uh, and just say like that's the that's like the raw numbers, but here is the actual quality of the message. Here's the types of messages. And we have, you know, we do tagging and we look at different ways to, to categorize those. So we were taking really that raw feedback coming in and just saying like, hey, um, here's a way to here's a way to actually see what customers are saying. We actually brought 
tweets. We had a leadership meeting uh, one time and we did a tweets where we did it like uh, Jimmy Kimmel mean tweet style. And, you know, where he had we had essentially like different people in the company reading tweets that we actually get. And then we had groups in the leadership summit talking about like how w- would you respond to this what would be your response to this and it was this. really oh, eye opening awesome. you got video of that we'll put it in the show notes <laughs> I got, I, yeah probably not uh, i i don't know if that was ever made public but um but yeah so it was it was a really eye opening exercise for our um, executives in this leader you know all these leaders across the company from every division and every you know air, people that work in operations on the you know to our our senior leadership so they were seeing um, they were seeing what people were saying. So it was always interesting to me to see like how each group would respond to that. Cause it was always so different. And then we'd think about, okay, we talk as a, as a, you know, organization. Okay. Is that where we'd want to, you know, is that how we should handle it? Is that who it should go to? Is that where, you know, so that helped a lot with that relationship building that I was talking about. And then looking at those other organizations that have done a really nice job and have had, um, really established customer care programs, whether it's in anywhere from your big box stores to airlines to CPG, like all these different organizations that have have handled that and and have a good sense of tone and how to respond and what not to respond to, and and looking at those examples to try to build that procedural documentation so we can hand that over to the team that's on the front lines and say okay, here's how we need to be responding. And I, t- I can tell you that stuff updates every week. Like every week we have new information. Okay, we're restoring this, we're canceling that, we're changing this, we're moving this around. So to keeping them up to date is really critical. That's amazing. I First, I just want to go back real quick to the fact with that exercise with the executives. That's amazing. I love that. I haven't heard of anybody doing that before and absolutely love it. What a great way to get them to see exactly what goes into social customer care and in the delicate situations that you deal with and the tough situations, in addition to all the fun things. I love that exercise so much. In addition to social customer care, you also and the team do a lot of tapping into advocates. So obviously going back to a lot of that listening that you do, not just on the social customer care side, but also in the engagement and really tapping into your brand advocates. You have some fantastic examples of just natural brand advocates, but how do you go out there and find everything? How do you source everything? How do you, how do you get people even more involved than they are today? We're lucky that we have a very photogenic product <laughs> and and a very uh, passionate uh, core group of what we call rail fans essentially that are are very into capturing the the essence of what it's you know I mean we're we have trains in 46 states and we can't always be capturing that so that user generated content element becomes a really valuable piece for us especially on these visual platforms like Instagram and even translating over into the in Facebook and Twitter and, and TikTok now too um, so I think you know we my my favorite one was really our the our Amtrak Take Me There program that we did two years ago which was kind of looking for brand advocates but not looking for like mega influencers. So we did this call out, you know, to find people that had these really unique social communities that um, were proficient and good on social media and being visual and talking to their audience. But they necess- we weren't looking necessarily needing somebody that had 10 million followers. We wanted to be 
relevant to a group of people and and get these um, get this message out. It was really about our long distance service um, to really help kind of promote the uniqueness of our of our long distance offerings. Um, and to me, that was like it was it was great because. To me, it felt like an influencer program, but without the like, I, I don't know, maybe the stigma of, of what like mega influencers can sometimes bring. It was just really unique, interesting people that had interesting backgrounds and stories and really diverse uh, communities that they spoke to. And I think that it was, you know, we ended up getting 8,000 people apply to that um, through our website. Yeah. And I mean, it was just so we set some baseline criteria to kind of, you know, weed out what we wanted and um, ended up sending six different, um, I'll, I'll call them, you know, advocates, ambassadors out on, on the rails at different times to, to uh, on different routes across the country to talk about their experiences. Everything from we had uh, a family who uh, one of their daughters, uh, their youngest daughter has Down syndrome, and they were making it a goal to see all of the national parks. And so our trains go to a lot of the national parks. So we had them on some of our trips out there. We had um, a woman that was uh, a, um, a veteran who was uh, paraplegic. And so we she went rode our auto train and between Sanford and Lorton here and talked, you know, talked about accessibility on the train, which is a really big piece of, uh, of our messaging as well, too. So um, that program for me from that kind of like advocacy ambassador side of things to me was one of my like a career highlight for me really a career highlight for me and my team because that was really done pretty much in-house like we really managed that it was a ton of work and it was um it, we learned a lot um but it was really that was just our it really felt like ours it felt very organic and just really born out of our team and it got just a ton of great pickup for our brand on a somewhat related note andy i'd love for you to tell the social pros listeners about the program that you did during COVID where people were like drawing pictures of trains <laughs> on their phone and stuff. Like, do you remember what a train looks like? You know, show us if you remember. Uh, it was really creative and really well executed. Uh, talk us through that one, please. Yeah, that was just uh, a good kind of just born out of a brainstorm. I mean, really just out of your traditional brainstorm, just working. Um, we have a small agency that we work with to do some of our social creative. And we really just get on the phone with them once a month and just kind of like throw around some ideas. And this, this idea came out of, you know, in Instagram stories, showing, showing a picture of the train, then being like, okay, that went away. Now, can you draw it from memory? And I think the most fun part of that was that we took people's drawings and then we like made comments on them and just, we had like a little fun, like some were a little silly and snarky, but some were also like really amazing. People did like amazing work. Some people obviously just, you know, took it and ran it through like a Photoshop filter <laughs> to make it look like it was drawn. But, uh, but we could have like that fun back and forth with our audience. And we really, that was like at peak COVID where really, you know, ridership was very, uh, w was suffering at that point. And, but we wanted to keep people engaged with the brand and it was just, it was just a really fun organic thing to do. Um, and it was actually just a lot of fun for our team to just go in and look at all of these and just make little comments and just like interact with our audience. And I think they just appreciated the kind of honesty and transparency of just having fun back and forth. So um, we've looked to, we potentially might do that again. It's just a fun thing to do once in a while, just kind of like almost like surprising our audience with it here, give it a shot. Um, so it was, it was a good time. That was a, a great way to, to keep everyone engaged and thinking about trains at a time when people weren't really able to travel.
Do you have uh, some of those in your archive? If you do, send them to us and we'll put them in the show notes at uh, socialpros.com. And yeah, we'll do. Examples. We'll do. Yeah, we'll. I'll send a few of them over because there's some really there's some really good ones uh, in there. Just any, anything you can imagine just showed up. So that's fantastic. Socialpros.com, friends, look for Andy's episode and you can see some examples. Andy, along the same lines, I think one of the things that I love most when I look through all of yours and the team's social efforts for Amtrak is you have this really beautiful way of mixing up, like you said, this picturesque, beautiful scenery that people can see while riding the train. And then there's also these beautifully created videos that help people understand policies and procedures and what to do and where to go. But then you also have some of these really quirky, fun, like genuinely entertaining posts and campaigns. And one of the ones that I actually was laughing really hard at was that you did an Instagram filter of a train. Like you have these quirky things mixed in and it's so beautifully put together, but a lot of brands really kind of struggle with quirky and humor and where that fits in. How do you and the team work it in so beautifully and so naturally? I think part of it comes from, you know, there is a potentially a social listening element just to see like what's out there and maybe what's happening at the personal organic level at that you know what what are people just messing around with on social like are they are they playing with filters like that where you you know where we can just be like i don't know maybe if you could throw your face on the front of a locomotive like some creepy thomas looking you know (laughs) thing and and uh and but it would just be like oh yeah you open your mouth and the horn goes off like that's like you know because the the horn is actually like a really iconic piece of of amtrak like you know the the equipment and and how it runs but uh but i think it's 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 the ability to just try a lot of different things and i think that's if there's one thing that came out of the pandemic year was that i think we were able to try just just really dig in and try a bunch of things that maybe you know, people were like, look, it, it's okay. Just, just try it. Just go out there and see what happens. And as long as, you know, we have our guardrails in place for our brand, we have our guardrails as far as, you know, what we would do. We don't, we don't want to actively try to offend or alienate people and no brand does. But um, I think being able to establish that those guardrails and those guidelines and just as from our tone and just our approach up front and then being able to walk up like just to that line where it's like you can be a little bit absurd you can be a little bit silly and you can have that that fun and a touch of that irreverence in there um but you know just when to um to to dial it back and you know maybe not go quite as far uh so i i think just being able to get more comfortable with each other as a team too so nobody feels that hey i'm gonna bring this idea to the table and feel like i'm gonna just get shot down or it's gonna feel stupid or anything like we've we create that openness within the team we create that that feeling of just being able to try things out and not feel like you're going to you're 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 not going to feel like it's you're going to be like talked down or or pushed out of the room like we we're, we're open to that we want we have a small team and that's just that's just the way we've established how we work that's fantastic it sounds like a, a terrific culture for uh ideation and and pushing the envelope without um uh, completely derailing, no pun intended, uh, the, the the brand uh, uh, values. I, I want you to contrast that with some of the other places that you have been. So one of the things I find interesting about Andy's background is that not only has he done digital for 
Amtrak, but also for Capital One and for Disney and for Vineyard Vines and for Bose. That's a lot of well-known mm-hmm. brands in one background. Talk a little bit, if you would, about the differences uh, or similarities in, in process or culture. Obviously, things have changed over the years in, in how social media gets applied in practice, but um, you've seen a lot of things. And, and so I'd love to, to have you kind of reflect a little bit on, on, um, on, on lessons you've learned. Yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting road, and I've had you know all of these different roles that I've had over the years. I've learned something new every time I've been at a different place. You know, you just kind of you you gather something a little bit new and you add it to your your tool set, and you can bring it to your next your next role. And I think you know when I started at Vineyard Vines, I mean that was over ten years ago now, and that was obviously like you said, Jay, like a, it, things were different, very different back then. And um, it was I, I was kind of I did everything. I always say like I was the Swiss army knife of social media, like social media jobs barely existed back then. And so I was doing, you know, content and posting and customer service and, you know, running down to the the customer service room down the hall and just being like, can we answer this guy? You know, things like that. Uh, and so it was very much like I was, I was everywhere and, and I was just kind of doing everything. And I think once I, once I went to Disney parks and resorts, and started having, you know, working more with the social team and having other people to bounce ideas off of that. I think, you know, for, for a, a company that really has such control over its brand and how much and what you can and can't really can and can't do to some degree, we on the social side had a lot of ability to be creative in the parks and really, you know, again, within our guidelines and our, and our guardrails, some of which we kind of, you know, learned around along the way where it's like, Hey, you know, maybe don't do that. Or like, you can't talk about that. Like, you know, those kind. but you learn again, you learn along the way. And, um, being able to really share ideas with other social media minded people was that I got a lot of that out of um, my role at Disney, which was really hands on from a content creation standpoint and really just um, a great way for me to learn how to just interact with and brainstorm with other people. And, um, and when I moved into Capital One, like that was a very strategic role. Like that was where I kind of moved more into a strategy driven role, like looking at how do we take something that might be really dry, like 1% interest banking accounts and make it interesting, you know, for a social audience and make it make it something that is uh, how can we be creative and how can we be strategic about getting that in, in front of people? So that's kind of, you, you know, along the way, how I've, I've, I've learned a little bit and that's, I put a little bit of that all together in my current role today and try to, but also learn from my team. Cause my team all come, they all come from different backgrounds too, whether it's the agency side or maybe even like the government, the more like, you know, sh- like strict government side and learning from them as well as to what we can implement into our, uh, our strategy, our social approach at Amtrak. Andy, in addition to all the brands that you've worked with, and thank you for that trip down memory lane, it is also, and I think this is correct. You are a, uh, you have a master's degree in music composition. Um, is that, is that accurate? It is. Yeah. Um, again, like music has just been a really important part of my life. Something that I've just always had a real interest in, um and again you know it doesn't really music composition isn't isn't paying my bills right now it's not like this uh thing that i'm i'm doing all the time but it's still like a uh it was a really um it was a really important part of my life and it's something i still kind of keep involved with in the side just playing and 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 
playing around with music just as a whole. Uh, so it's, uh, but I, I was able to do, do multimedia and some visual element along with that too. And that's kind of how I sort of snuck in the back door into social media over time, not really through maybe your traditional marketing background, um, but more from like the creative angle. And I feel like that was, that really had a big influence on that. I think you could argue that social media is a symphony, especially with all the different channels now, right? So Snap is like a oboe and, you know, TikTok is, I don't know, symbols. Like you could, you could, you could make it work if you really had to from a tortured analogy standpoint. Are you doing it? Are you going to do like an Amtrak Spotify playlist? Maybe you should be in charge of that. That could be part of your. You know, it's funny. We actually did that with, with our, um, it was all like uh, train themed songs, uh, like a couple, I think it was a couple of years ago, like awesome. right around the holidays, working with our PR team, they did like a curated, curated a list of, of train themed songs. And there's no shortage of them if you really dig. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's great. Yeah. And so now, here's what we got to do. Let's take your your influencer program, your advocate program, and your music composition background, and let's have people write and perform songs on the train. Live that would be live show. There you go. I, I, yeah, I love it. I would love to do that. That would be a that would be a career like that would be peak career at that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the things. It's all the things, Andy, in in one campaign. Right, I right, right. I love it, Andy. You've been doing this for a long time now for a lot of brands, as we talked about a moment ago. I'm really interested to hear your answer to to this question. For people who want to become a social pro, what is your one tip for them? I would say, you know, as I was just talking about, there's, you know, I kind of came at social from a really different approach. And I think that there are many doors into social media. So even if you're, you know, you may be a little bit more analytical minded, there's still a place in social media. And if you might be more creative minded, there's still a place in social media. If you're more of a strategy mind, there's definitely a place. If you like engaging one-on-one -on -one in a customer element, you know, customer facing element, there's definitely a place for you there. So I think maybe if you're approaching and you're like, look, I don't, I don't work in marketing. I didn't, you know, that's not necessarily my my bread and butter or where I came from or from a traditional communications background. Maybe there's there's still other ways to get involved. And I think just setting those um, relationships, building those relationships, trying to meet different people in those different areas. It's not like when I started 10 years ago, like I said, where I was the only one doing everything. There's a lot of different areas, a lot of different approaches right now, a lot of different ways in. And so I would uh, recommend to anybody, first of all, I don't think it's too late if you think like it's too late to get involved i think it's only only more doors are opening at this point and no matter what your background is there's probably a way for you to relate your experience to what is available in a social media career it's such a smart observation that the breadth of roles is actually increasing not decreasing and subsequently the background necessary to have a career in social it has now become more varied, not not tighter. I think it's really, really smart that there's a lot of different entry points. And then as we've seen on this show all the time, Anna, what you do from here varies a lot too. We've got lots of Social Pros alums who are now CMOs or have decided to get into a different part of the organization, into ops or into CX, et cetera. So uh, it's it's a really fascinating place that we're at right now in terms of kind of the quote unquote career of social media. Mm -hmm. Andy, last Absolutely. question for you, uh, and thanks so much for, for being here. If you could do a video call with any living train conductor, 
Um, who <laughs> would it? <laughs> no, if you can do it, if you call with any living person, it doesn't have to be a train conductor. Although, if it is a train conductor, that is definitely extra credit. Uh, any living person, who would it be, and why? Yeah, I um, I don't know if there's too many too many famous famous ones out there right now, but they all do. <laughs> the ones we do have do do great work out there. But for me, um, I would have to say um, again because of my love of music and because of uh, just somebody I feel like is is one of the most interesting people in the world is got to be uh, Dave Grohl uh, of the uh, mm-hmm. Foo Fighters and. Uh, a uh, local guy here to DC where we are, um, grew up around here. And, um, I just think, you know, he's so, there's nobody out right now that I think out there right now in music that loves music more than Dave Grohl. Like, I think he just so genuinely loves music as a whole and loves what he does and really appreciates that he has had the opportunity to get to where he is not through just like it happened to work out he just worked really hard i mean he's the first couple albums he released he recorded every instrument on those albums i mean that is just that's crazy and those are like classic albums at this point you know just to think about doing that so he's i I just think he's an interesting guy who's worked really hard to get where he is loves what he does loves his fans loves talking to people excuse me loves talking to people and uh, i just think that i could talk to that guy for hours about everything not even just music related but just like life in general uh from all of his experiences so that would be dave Grohl would be my my number one there that's a great answer that is a great answer i don't think anybody's had that answer before i don't think so either and i don't think anybody said dave Grohl, but that's a a terrific one uh super hard worker incredible career twice over now amazing Uh, storyteller and seems like a really cool dude too like i don't know Dave Grohl, but but from what I have witnessed, seems like uh, given his fame and fortune, a pretty chill dude, which is uh, impressive <laughs> in and of itself. Is Dave Grohl a trained rider? Do we have evidence of that fact, Andy? Uh, you know, I would. Uh, you know, if he's listening, I'll, I'll get him on the train if he hasn't had a chance. I, I would be more than welcome to uh, to show him the ropes of, of uh, Amtrak here. So, uh, if he hasn't had the chance, I'm 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 in it. I'm all like about we it. talked about a moment ago. The Amtrak <laughs> sessions live on the train, starring Foo Fighters. This thing writes itself. Yeah, uh, I, I want credit yeah. for this idea when it happens. You'll, uh, I'll, Jay, I'll make sure both of you, uh, Jay and Anna are on, on that ride. I'll get you, you the tickets. Thank we'll you. get you right up front. Yeah. Thank you. We're going to make that happen. Uh, I, I generally hope that does happen. I think that would be a blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, thanks again for being here. Really appreciate, uh, your wisdom and the time you spent with us. I know the social pros community, uh, appreciates it as well. Nothing but the best. I'll let you know when I'm back, uh, back on a train, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tweet at you. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, really appreciate it. Um, Jay and Anna, I really uh, a highlight for me. Love uh, listening to you guys. Love your podcasts and just really um, great work you guys are doing. So appreciate the time and uh, thank you again for the opportunity. You bet. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you. I'm Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. She's Anna Harak, also from Convince and Convert. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors. Don't forget, go to socialpros.com for every episode we've ever recorded all the way back to January of uh, 2012. You can see some of the examples of Andy's work that we talked about in this episode and a lot of other stuff. We'll see you next week on what is hopefully your favorite podcast in the whole world. This has been Social Pros.